me ask you a question. Do you remember the uh, last time you invited someone over for dinner? I'm not talking about your family, okay? That doesn't count. I'm talking about a guest, you know? If your family comes over, it's like, hey, whatever, good to see you. Walk in, you got a key anyway, so. Um, but I'm talking about you had someone over for dinner, you had a guest over, and what did you do to get everything ready? You know, you, you probably cleaned everything up. You know, you got all the stuff and you, you, you shoved it in the bedroom and locked the door, right? You know, that's cleaning up, isn't it? And uh, maybe, if they're important enough, you get out the good china, you know, and when, when, you get, when they get there, if it's wintertime, you offer to take their coats and you pile that on a big pile in, in a bedroom somewhere, or maybe you put it, have room in your closet for that. And uh, you probably say something like, make yourself at home, you know? And because we want to be hospitable. You know, hospitality is a big deal. Being friendly is a big deal, especially if you're the one inviting someone over to your house. Uh, but you wouldn't invite someone over for dinner and then treat that person inhospitably, would you? Uh, you, you wouldn't do that. But, but what if that happened to you? Someone invited you over for dinner, and so you show up, you ring the doorbell, and your host doesn't answer the door. You wait a minute. You know, you don't want to be too pushy, you don't want to be too rude, so you wait a minute or so, and you, you knock on the door, nothing. You wait another minute, you knock on the door a little bit louder, and uh, then they, your host opens the door and he snaps, don't rush me. So you come inside, your host doesn't offer to take your winter coat. And so you hang it in the closet yourself. Your host gets out his very best china, and he places the very best china right there in front of him at his place at the table, and he gets out some Dixie paper plates and some plasticware for you. And after dinner, the host asks you to do the dishes, the, at least the dishes that aren't going to be thrown away, and when the dishes are done, he says to you, you know, it's probably time for you to go home. Go ahead, head on home. This is not your home. That would probably leave a pretty good impression on you. By good, I mean lasting impression on you, wouldn't it? I mean, what would you do if something like that happened to you? Would you, would you say something to the host? Some of you might. Some of you wouldn't, but you probably wouldn't ever make the mistake of going back to that person's house, you know. Well, there's an incident recorded in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Luke in which Jesus was invited over for dinner and then he was treated inhospitably by the host. It happened in a, in, in a city called Nain. And not long after entering the city, Jesus came across a woman that was weeping. She, was, she had been a widow for quite some time and she had only one son to care for her. And the reason she was weeping that day is that that son who was to care for her, that one person that could support her for the rest of her life, he died. And now she's got nothing. The one piece of family she had left, the one person that she loved dearly more than anyone else had died and she was now all alone and a large crowd from the city had gathered around her and was trying to comfort her. But you might imagine that she would not be comforted very easily. 
I'm going to read a few verses from Luke chapter 7. It says, when the Lord Jesus saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. And he came up and he touched the coffin. And the bearers came to a halt and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all. And they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. This report concerning Jesus went out all over Judea and in the surrounding district. Everyone in town, everyone in the city of Nain, had heard of this incident. Religious people heard of it. Sinful people, I mean, it was the talk of the town. Everybody was there. Everybody saw it because of that large crowd that gathered around the widow lady. And there was one man in particular who took special notice of this. His name was Simon. Not Simon Peter. A different man named Simon. This Simon was a Pharisee. And he invited Jesus over for dinner. If you have access to your Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, and we will read through verse 50, and I invite you, if you found the place, to stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of God's Word. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50, and I'll read aloud, and you can follow along quietly. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, but you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since, he, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who has forgiven little, loves little. 
Then Jesus said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with Jesus began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us to encounter the Lord Jesus today. And Father, I pray that you'd grant us insight and wisdom, grant us knowledge, but most of all, visit us yourself through your Holy Spirit. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, there are two types of uh, people in this world. There are sinners and non-sinners. And by non-sinners, I don't mean people that have never sinned. There's only one of those, and that's Jesus. By non-sinners, I don't mean that people have reached a point in their life where they don't sin anymore because I don't believe that happens, not in this world. That will be our experience someday. But as long as we're in this world filled with sin, we're going to be influenced by it. By non-sinners, I mean that there are people who think that they are without sin. They look at other people as sinners. They think, you know, bad people are sinners. Murderers are sinners. Tax collectors are sinners. Thieves are sinners. Prostitutes are sinners. But not me. I'm not like that. You know, that was the attitude of the Pharisee. And I'll give the Pharisee one thing here in the story that we read. I'm going to give him his props, okay? Because he at least did one thing right. He invited Jesus over for dinner, okay? And that, that's not to be overlooked at all. That's not to be diminished. At least he invited Jesus over to his house for dinner. And I think that uh, there's a lot of people in our society that are sort of in that place. You know, they don't know the Lord, but they've been thinking about him. Maybe with all of this coronavirus stuff, they've been thinking about him. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've been thinking about Jesus. Maybe you've sort of been wondering, is there a place maybe in my life for Jesus? Maybe you want to sort of check him out. Check out his claims. Check out whether, you know, this Jesus of the Bible might be for you. You've heard some things about Jesus. Maybe you've read some things about Jesus. Or maybe there was a point in your life where Jesus was involved in your life, but you know how life is. sort of got away from that. You sort of got away from Him. You started to do your own thing. Drifted away. You know, living life. And Jesus just sort of got squeezed out. And, and maybe now you're at a point in life where you thought, maybe I need to get back to Jesus. I wonder if he'll take me back. You know, I would invite you, if if you're in any type of situation like I just mentioned, to at least do this. At least invite Jesus to have a conversation with you. Just that. Okay? At least invite him into your life for an evening. For a moment in time. To have a conversation. God says in the Old Testament, come, let us reason together. That means God wants to have a talk. 
God wants to sit down with you, talk things over, get to know one another a little bit. You know, you may have some questions for God. You may have some issues with God. You don't like some of the things that have been happening in your life, and you blame God for it. Well, I've got news for you. God can answer your questions. God can handle your issues. The question really is, can you handle his answers? Can you handle his answers? Are you brave enough to wrestle with God? And so I want to give the Pharisee his props here because he invited Jesus into his life, at least for the evening. And when you do that, when you invite God to come in and have a conversation with you, just for the evening at least, there's the possibility that God might change your life. In verse 36 of Luke chapter 7, we read that Jesus simply entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Nothing, nothing significant, it seems, happens in that verse. But, but really, it's not what's there, it's what's not there. Because you'll notice that Luke doesn't record any of the common acts of hospitality when a person in that day and culture would host somebody in his home for dinner. So there were some certain things that should have happened that didn't happen. You see, in that day, when a person would come into your home for dinner, you would wash that guest's feet with water. And you would dry them with a towel. Why? Because they were probably wearing sandals. It was the shoe of the day. And uh, the roads were dusty and the paths were dusty and they're not getting into, into their air-conditioned Lexus to drive over to your house, okay? They're walking through dirt and mud and whatever else they might step in to get to your house. And once they get to your house, their feet are going to be dirty and in need of a little bath. And so it's just common courtesy when someone comes into your house and you're hosting them for dinner that you take a moment, you get some water, you wash their feet, you dry them off with a towel. It's just what you do. And you also offer to pour olive oil on your guest's head. And that's, that's unusual to us. If you were to walk into someone's house and they were to pour olive oil on your head, you know, you might get mad, right? But to them in that day, uh, again, they're walking in the heat of the day. They're walking in 95, 100 degree heat at the late part of the day to get to your house for dinner. And they're sweating. And they may be drenched with sweat. They may be dusty. There may be no telling what kind of uh, filth and nastiness just all over their face. And so you offer them some olive oil. It's a quick way for them to be refreshed. And you pour it on their, their head, and it runs down their, their, their hair, and it runs down their face. And they feel cleansed. They feel refreshed. It's just nice. They smell clean. It's just something you do for people. Well, Luke didn't mention in this verse those things happening because they didn't happen. They should have happened, but they didn't. Jesus was not afforded that type of hospitality. Jesus was actually disrespected here by the host. He did not receive the courtesy due to a common house guest. And I want you to think about this. Here's Jesus, and and. And you got to forgive the Pharisee just a little bit because he doesn't exactly know who Jesus is, but we do. Here's Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, the eternal Son of God. He created that Pharisee, and he's in that Pharisee's house, and he cannot receive back from the Pharisee even 
the common hospitality actions given to any house guest. He's disrespected. But you know what? Jesus does not say anything about it, at least not right away. It's not time yet. And when he says something later, it's to say something with regard to teaching the man and helping the man. Jesus treats the Pharisee with the respect that the Pharisee should have treated Jesus. Well, then an uninvited guest shows up. A woman who all we know about her is that she was a sinner. This sinful woman, like everyone else in town, had heard about Jesus. And so when she heard where Jesus was staying that night, she knew that she had to be there. She had to be there. Verses 37 and 38 tells us that she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. She had a plan. It didn't just happen to be on her. She went home when she found out where Jesus was going to be. And she got this alabaster vial of perfume. The same perfume, probably, that she would wear herself when she would sell her body to people for money. She got this alabaster vial of perfume. And she went to this man's house, the Pharisee's house. And she walked in, and it was common in that day to, to just walk into people's homes. She, would, she walked in, and she stood behind Jesus at his feet. Now, I want to try to describe the best I can the position that Jesus is in. Because in that day, the common type of table, dinner table, the formal dinner table, was not what you and I experienced. We have a table that's sort of like this podium, except it's flat, of course, and not angled. That would be fun. And uh, it's, we have a table, and we sit down in chairs, and our legs go underneath the table because the table is raised on legs. And so you know what a table looks like. But in that day, most tables were more what you and I would consider a box. On the floor, and the host would be right in the center next to the box, um, on a pillow. There would be three large pillows, one on this side, one to the host right, and one to the host left. Typically, nine people would be able to sit at this dinner table. And since the table was a box and it was low to the ground, the host would be lying down on his left side, right in the center, and the guest of honor would be to the host's left. And then the others would fill the rest of the table, all of them lying down, almost on their stomach, but really on their side, propped up on their left elbow, and that way they can eat with their right hand. And their body is going behind them, and the feet are exposed at the back. This is the same type of position in John chapter 13, when Jesus hosts the Lord's Supper, I know Leonardo da Vinci in his masterpiece doesn't describe it that way, but that's how it happened in that story too. So in this story, Jesus is next to Simon, the Pharisee, and the woman is at the back, and she is washing Jesus' feet weeping onto his feet, wetting his feet with her tears. She's cleansing 
the dirt off of Jesus' feet. And she keeps wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, her long hair, which should in that culture be hidden, but she's a sinner. And so her long hair is exposed, and she's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, and she's kissing his feet. I don't know the last time that I kissed anyone's feet. Probably it would be when my children were little and I was playing with them. But I cannot honestly imagine being in such a humble situation that I would kiss a man's foot. Uh, That would seem to be offensive. I probably just have too much pride to do something like that. But this woman had no pride whatsoever. None was left. Completely humbled. She's kissing Jesus' feet, weeping, wiping his feet with her hair and anointing his feet with the perfume. This sinful woman showed Jesus the respect that the host should have. And more than that, you'll notice how deeply moved and emotional she was, weeping so much that it's not just filling up her eyes, it's falling off of her face onto his feet. Why do you think she was so emotional when she was in the presence of Jesus? I think it's because the religious people in that town probably hated her. But Jesus loved her. I think that other people in that town put her down, but Jesus lifted her up. I think that other people judged her and condemned her for her life, but Jesus forgave her. And so there she was, completely unashamed, giving Jesus what she could. The host, however, had a very different reaction to Jesus. Look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Notice that he said that to himself. He didn't say it to anyone else. He's seated right next to Jesus. He didn't say it to Jesus. He didn't say it to the guy on his right. He said it to himself. The sinner was broken over her sins, but this man who thought he had committed no sin, he doubted Jesus. He complained about Jesus. You know, the Pharisee's problem was that he was blind to his own need of forgiveness. And so Jesus decided to help him understand. Verse 40. Jesus answered him, even though the man spoke to himself, Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. You know, the next time the Lord says, I have something to say to you. Hold on. He's ready to teach you a lesson. And I'll just say this. You know, there have been times in my life when uh, I haven't been real happy with God because of circumstances. And and so I've taken it to the Lord and I've argued with him and and every single time I find out that I'm the one in the wrong. It's funny how that happens. But God can handle me and my issues and all of that. He can handle you too. Jesus says, I got something to say. Verse 41, Jesus said, A money lender 
had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. A denarii was an agricultural worker's daily wage. So can you imagine being in debt and owing 50 days' wages? Whatever your wage is, 50 days' wage. You think, I could probably get out of that debt. You know, maybe, 50 days. That's, that's a little significant, but... Given enough time, I could I could make it, tighten the belt, you know, and, and uh, save a little money, and I could maybe get out of that debt, unless you're living day by day, paycheck to paycheck. Then there's no end in sight, even for 50 days' wages worth of debt, much less 500, which is the other guy. So both these guys are living day to day. They can't save any money. They got expenses. They got kids to feed or whatever. We don't know. But they can't pay this back, and, and so they're both, you know, stuck here. And when they were unable to repay, in verse 42, Jesus says, he graciously forgave them both. So which one will love him more? Which one will love him more? And, and uh, Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. Simon got the right answer. And then in verse 44, Jesus, still reclining at the table, his feet behind him, the woman still at his feet, ministering to him. Jesus turns to the woman, and he speaks to Simon, but he's looking at the woman when he says these words. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. And can you imagine if you're that woman, Jesus looking dead in your eye and saying to you, really to Simon, but he's looking at you. And he says, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Can you imagine looking into the eyes of your Savior, wondering if the little bit that you have to offer Him is enough? If Jesus even notices the love that you have in your heart for Him, and He looks at you and He says, You love me much. You're forgiven of all of your sins. And then he said to her those very words, Your sins are forgiven. Verse 49, those who were reclining at the table began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, and Jesus says to you, your faith has saved you. 
go in peace. Do you think a love like that, that Jesus might have toward us, might change you? I think so. So I need to ask you a question today. How do you view yourself? Are you a sinner? Are you like this sinful woman who has need of nothing more than Jesus' love and forgiveness? Are you like the sinful woman who has nothing to offer Jesus other than your heart and soul? Or are you like this religious man who has no need of Jesus because he thinks he's without sin? Yeah, religion's for those bad people. Not for me. I'm okay. I'm not like those bad people. You know, if you aren't a sinner, then you don't need a Savior, do you? But if you know you're a sinner, there is absolutely no sin that can separate you from God's love and forgiven, forgiveness. And if you've been forgiven of much, then you will love Jesus much in return. 